Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. How's everyone doing today? Good. You look awesome. You look happy. It is a big day in this church um, for a couple reasons. And... The main one is that God's presence is here with us, and that's the most important thing, and that's the thing that makes us dance and makes us shout and cry and all the other things that some of you might be doing. So I'm really excited to get to be up here today to share this with you, and Heidi came backstage just a couple minutes ago, and she said, there's a reason that you're up there right now today. She said, it's because what are you good at? And in that moment, I blanked. I was like, I don't know. I don't think I'm good at anything. (laughs) But she reminded me that I'm a starter. And that's so true. God has given me this really cool gift of starting things. Now, it means I have to work on finishing them. (laughs) But I am a starter. And so I'm so excited to be able to stand up here with you today as we start the next step in this journey that God has called all of us to. And by all of us, I mean every single one of you. The team that stood up here before, we're just the people that God first told about his idea for this church. And then the rest of you quickly came on board and walk it out with us. So on February 12th, our teaching team met to plan the next four months of series for this church. And I know that I talk about our teaching team a lot, and I tell you about the cool God details, but I'm going to keep doing it. Because what we have learned is that it's not just a coming together to plan series with cool names or even just to find out about what God wants us to say from his word. It's a, t- it's a time to come together to watch God just show off. Because he lines up details months in advance that we couldn't even know about. That we couldn't even line up if we tried. And so I'm going to keep telling you about that because it shouts of God's magnificence and of his glory and of him being in every single detail of this church and of our lives. So in February, we were at the very end of our Amplify series, which Chris did a phenomenal job sharing the vision, the next part of the vision for this church. We were at the very end of that, and we didn't know very many details about what was coming, but what we did know was that God was asking us to step into the next season of this church in multiple ways, and one of those was to look for a permanent address for Church 214. Now, to be fair, we kind of thought that it was like a really long ways down the road, you know, like a year, (laughs) But God has not ever done anything super slow with us when he's asked us to take a step. It's interesting because he has built our church in numbers slowly. But that is significant and that has been for a very specific purpose because he wanted to get this right first before he expanded that. You follow? Okay, so, but everything else he's done in like fast forward. Hey, start a church. Okay, six six weeks later we start a church. Hey, buy a building. Okay. Eight weeks later-ish, we buy a building. So this idea of rebuilt was also on our hearts. Chris had been talking about it for, I don't know, a really long time. And this thought of rebuilding wasn't ever about a building. It was about God rebuilding us. 
building up the broken things in us. And we didn't even realize it, but the series that came right before Rebuilt was broken. And God lined that up. I mean, I think it had been on the whiteboard. Correct me if I'm wrong, someone. Ryan, you always pay really close attention to the whiteboard. So I think it had been up there for like a full hour before anybody said, oh, <laughs> we'd be coming right out of broken. Almost immediately, it was clear to us as we sat in that meeting that this series needed to come soon. And we didn't really understand why. But in the following weeks, it was made abundantly clear because there was an urgency. We felt an urgency. On February 9th, this church gave $50,000 in one week for a down payment for a building. On February 10th, that building was found. One day later. The building that we believed was supposed to be ours. And so over the next few weeks after February 10th, we began praying over the building. I drove by it at least five times just to pray around it and be like, God, if that's our building, like, make it happen if it's not shut all the doors. And 307 Oak Street, as you all now know, is our new church home. We wanted this decision to be based not on our own flesh. Because to be honest, some of us are really tired of setting up those blue walls in the back. The wheels are falling off in large amounts. But it had to be a move of God and not a move of our flesh. And so we paid a lot of attention to that. We asked ourselves, do we want this just because it's the next cool thing? Or do we want this because God is leading us to do this? And I absolutely love this story in Numbers where the people of Israel have been set free from slavery and they're out in the wilderness. And we're going to talk about the tabernacle in a moment. But they've built this tabernacle and then it says there was a, the presence of God was over the tabernacle in a cloud by day and fire by night, which would have been so awesome to see that. And sometimes the cloud stayed for a year at a time, sometimes a week at a time, sometimes a day or two. But whenever the cloud moved, the people knew that it was time for them to move because the presence of God was moving. God is always on the move. He is never going to be stagnant. He might keep you in a season for a time, but then he's going to move you into something else because his presence has moved and you must follow. The very end of this chapter, it says this, so they camped or traveled at the Lord's command, and they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. And here's the point. Our pleasure is not in the staying or the going. Our pleasure is in being led by the Lord. And that was our main desire. So before we take that next step, I want to give you some biblical perspective of how Church 214 fits into this bigger picture of God's story, of his people and his church. Most of us, I think, tend to view our lives like we're looking out our back window. That's my back patio right there. That's what I see when I look out my back door. But then, when we change our perspective and we zoom out a little bit, we see this. And I wonder if we so often get wrapped up in our own small lives, in our own small time in history, that we forget that God's plan for all of creation is this whole picture. And it's all tied together in one story. 
and our part in it, it's so tiny. But listen to me, it is so significant. James 4 says this, you don't have a clue what tomorrow may bring. For your fleeting life is but a warm breath of air that is visible on a cold day, and then it vanishes. Our lives in this story are fleeting, but they are significant. Your life is significant, just like all those who have come before us. Each generation has a specific purpose and a specific place in God's redemptive story. So today I want to talk about our part in that story. And I want to talk about the places that God dwells. And if I were naming my message today, well, actually, I am going to just name it. I'm going to call it places he's lived, he lives, and he will live. See, God cares a lot about where his presence dwells. I want you to think about that for a moment. Do you care where you live? Okay, four people care. The rest of you need to start caring. Yes, of course you do. Of course you do. We all do. We either love our house and our city and our place or our country or wherever it is that we live. We either love it or we hate it or we're just like, eh, it's all right. Everyone has feelings about where they live. And God cares about his dwelling place too. The Bible is so full of information about all the addresses of God. Now, earlier when I told Isaac Schaefer that, he said, wait, God's dresses? I said, no, God is he and does not wear dresses. Addresses, addresses where you live. He, he has always cared about this. And I'm going to show you a pattern of this from past, present, and future. And where we fit in that story. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Here we find his first address. He existed over the deep waters. And then God speaks all of creation into existence. And he creates his most prized possession, people, Adam and Eve. And he places them in this garden. Genesis 2.8 says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And here we see God's second address. In the garden, among the people he has created, walking among them. He's created man and woman, and we know from earlier verses that he is in intimate fellowship with them, which means that he's having conversations with them, that he's living among them. And then sin enters the world. Through the serpent, the devil, and everything changes. After this point, we don't have a lot of knowledge of where God's spirit was dwelling, except we know he was on his throne in the heavenly places. We see that a couple of times in the Old Testament and also again in the New Testament. 
But we do not see him living among an intimate fellowship, his people, because sin separated him from us. When sin entered the world in the garden, there was a separation between God and the people that he had created. We see that God is still speaking to people. He's showing up in their lives here and there. We see this in many instances in Noah's life. We see it in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we get all the way to Moses. And God's people have been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And God has heard their cries because he still loves them and he desires to be in relationship with them. He desires to dwell among them. And so he sends Moses to help them. And Moses, through the whole series of events, which you all know, sets the people free in Egypt. They, they leave Egypt, and now they are over a million people in the wilderness. Can you imagine that number of people? That's a lot of people. So God has been meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain, and God's presence is up there, and God speaks to Moses, and God's presence has mostly been reserved for these encounters with Moses in the mountains. And then Moses will come down the mountain where the people are, and he will tell them what God has said. So there's still this gap between God and his people. There's once when God even calls all the people together at the base of the mountain so he can speak to them, but he says, put a boundary around the mountain, and if you cross it, you will die. God shows up in thunder and lightning, and the mountain is shaking and trembling, and the people are terrified of God's presence. Only Moses and Aaron are able to go up into the presence of God, and the people could not. They had to stay at the bottom of the mountain, trembling in fear at the presence of God. So God tells Moses this, Exodus 25, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. And then the next seven chapters are devoted to God laying out this plan in intricate detail about how his tabernacle should be built. He gives them exact measurements. He gives them exact materials, what colors of cloth to use, how to make the priest clothe, and where to put the tassels, and what color that they should be. He doesn't spare any detail. He tells them exactly how to do it. And the tabernacle is essentially a tent, and it's portable. It's a portable sanctuary where God dwells among his people. It was placed in the center of the camp, and it was the highest structure in the camp to remind people of his presence with them. God not only told them how to build it, he told them who should build it. God was very specific in calling all the people together to join in on this. I'm going to read portions of Exodus 35 and 36. It's a lot, so we're going to skip over some of the details, but I want you to get a picture of this. Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. And then it goes on to list a whole bunch of items that all the people are supposed to bring to the tabernacle for the construction of it. Then it says this, Come, all you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has said. And again, a whole long list of all the items that the gifted craftsmen were asked to construct 
for the tabernacle, for the dwelling place of God, so he could live among his people. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering to the Lord, and all those who owned the following items willingly brought them, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and on and on and on. And that those who had acacia wood brought it for the use in the project. All the women, women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and cloth. So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work of the Lord, had, the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts, and gave them freely to the Lord. And then for time's sake, I'm going to skip this next part, but basically God calls out the names of some specific people and tells them, you are who I've chosen to craft this out among with all of the other people. He calls them out by name. And then listen to this. I love this line in here where it says, the people were eager to get to work. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. Because God stirred their hearts, the people funded the entire building of the tabernacle, a place for God to live among them. The tabernacle was complete and God lived in their midst. Now this address for God lasted for about 400 years. And it was only a tent. Now, I've, to be fair, it was slightly more like glamping <laughs> than camping. And if you campers out there that ever want to ask me to go camping, I would gladly go if we're glamping. The next address for God's present presence was Solomon's temple. At this point in God's story, the people of Israel are now well established in the promised land. They've set up permanent homes for themselves. And King David is on the throne, and he has this desire to build God a permanent dwelling. God's even given him the blueprints for it. Like, that would be a pretty cool building to build, right? God gives you the blueprints, and you just obey him. But David's life was so full of fighting wars against their enemies that he couldn't get to it. So his son Solomon took on the task. It wasn't any small task. Listen to these numbers. 30,000 men from Israel participated in building this temple for God. In addition, 70,000 foreigners also joined in. 3,600 foremen stepped up to the plate. And 80,000 quarry workers, thought you would like that, baby, were used in the construction. There were cedar and cypress logs that a king from Tyre, who was King David's really good friend, sent over for the project. And Solomon spared no expense. 
in building this temple. It was magnificent. Once again, the people of God came together to build a dwelling place for God. And it took seven years to build this. Hopefully our church doesn't take quite that long. (laughs) And when the temple was finished, the Ark of the Covenant was brought in. First Kings. Then the priests carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Nothing was in the Ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left the land of Egypt. When the priests came out of the holy place, listen to this. This is so good. A thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. That's what we want, church. It's the glorious presence of the Lord to fill the place where we meet. But the beautiful thing is he does. He fills us with it because we are the temple. I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, sadly, this temple, Solomon's beautiful temple, didn't last very long. Within five years, it was plundered. And 340 years later, it was completely destroyed by Babylon. Here's why. Second Chronicles. All the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God and the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and his officials. Then his army burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything else of value. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and the temple of God, and he took captives back to his city of Babylon. Now, these captives have been in Babylon for 70 years, and this is where we've camped out for most of this rebuilt series. We've talked about Daniel and Cyrus and Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, all those awesome guys, right? Yep. Okay. So that's where we've been talking through most of this. Then we get to this point where Cyrus, who is a king of Persia, he is not an Israelite, but he has Israelites living in his under his domain. Cyrus has been shown that his name is in a prophecy, probably by Daniel, from the book of Isaiah, or from the prophet Isaiah, from 150 years earlier. Chris preached about this a couple weeks ago. And this is his response to seeing his name in that prophecy. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. This is from Ezra. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. He was not an Israelite, yet God told him to build the temple. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. 
Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock, as well as voluntary offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So God stirred their hearts, and all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his own gods. This is what I want to call the Cyrus effect. Someone who was not even a part of their people, was not a part of their tribe. He was an outsider. God gave the command to go back and build the temple, and he obeyed. So I'm calling this the Cyrus effect, and I want to share with you why you'll understand in a minute. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, I don't know, three or four weeks ago maybe, time is fleeting, <laughs> um, we were in negotiations for this building, okay? And we had a number that was our top number, and we said we cannot go above this number. We would not be wise. It would not be prudent of us to hit go above this number. The seller had a number that was their bottom dollar. They had said, we will not go below this number. They did, eventually, <laughs> which is awesome, but that's beside the point. Um, and there was a gap. There was a $20,000 gap there, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I promise you that it was when you consider everything, okay? And we knew that this gap was there, and Chris was at work, and he got a phone call from one of his buddies, who he works with, he's worked with for many years. This guy lives in Chile, not Chillicothe, the country Chile. His name is Alejandro. He's visited this church one time, and it had a significant impact on him. And so there, you guys talk on the phone every day, right? Because you work together-ish. And he said, hey, what's going on with your church these days? And Chris was like, oh, funny you should ask. We're actually in the process of trying to buy a building to have a permanent place. And he was like, oh, tell me about that. And he's like, well, we're in some negotiations with the seller. There's a gap. We can't really meet. We haven't been able to find an agreement yet. And he's like, well, how much? And Chris said $20,000, to which he said, years ago, God told me to build a church, and I would like to give your church $20,000. Wow. That's what I call the Cyrus effect. God using someone, that's God using someone outside of our circle to build his kingdom. So finally, this temple is complete through a whole bunch of drama that happened. Like, they paused for 15 years, and then King Darius read the decree and was like, go back and start building it and use all my funds from the treasury. Again, another evil king using his money to build God's temple. Like, you, you just wonder, you wonder, like, wow, you think they ever regretted that? <laughs> I just think that's so awesome. So this temple was complete, and there was great joy. It wasn't quite as extravagant as Solomon's temple, but this temple lasted for 500 years. And both temples had a couple of things. Actually, they had a lot of things in common, but there's two that I want to point out to you today, two that I think are significant. Number one, both temples, Solomon's temple, and then this is known as the second temple or Zerubbabel's temple. He was the guy commissioned to go and oversee all of it. Um, both temples were built with outside assistance with donations, finances, and support of kings and neighbors who were not a part of the people of Israel. 
And then secondly, both temples were built by all the people coming together to bring their resources and their skills. It wasn't just a team of hired help. It was a community of Israel coming together to build a place for God to dwell among them. That temple lasted for 500 years until the Roman Empire around 70 AD destroyed it. That would have been the temple that Jesus would have been a part of when he was here on earth. And then in 37 BC, just years before Jesus comes on the scene on earth, Herod the Great puts this huge elaborate expansion on the temple because he wanted to win the favor of the people. Like selfish ambition, totally. But what he didn't know is that just a few short later, that late, years later, that temple would no longer be needed because Jesus was coming on the scene and he was changing everything. See, when Jesus gave his life for you and for me, God no longer needed a physical structure for his presence to dwell in. When Jesus died, the curtain in the Holy of Holies, which is where the God's presence was that only a few select people had access to, it tore from the top to the bottom, and it gave all of us access to the presence of God. <laughs> Hebrews 9.11 says this, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which is not made by human hands and is not a part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. The temple is now us. We are God's address. As followers of Jesus, we are where his spirit dwells. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, 3, 16 and 17. Don't you realize that altogether you have become God's inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, and that the spirit of God makes his permanent home in you. Now, if someone desecrates God's inner sanctuary, God will desecrate him. Come on. For God's inner sanctuary is holy, and that is exactly who you are. He's talking about you as an individual, and he's talking about us as a collective, the church. We are his dwelling place. We are his permanent address until we go to our permanent address, which is heaven. Jesus changed everything. Jesus allowed for God to once again be an intimate communion with us. For God not to just dwell with us, but in us. For God not to just walk beside us, but in and through us. And here's where we find our part of the story. Next comes the church. Jesus has gone back up to heaven to be with his heavenly father. And you all know this story. It comes from Acts. It's where we get our name from. The disciples, the Holy Spirit has come down upon them. The church begins, starts moving forward at a massive rate, changing the world all around them, which is the model that we follow today. Acts 2, 1 and 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven where they were sitting. What looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. As everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Verse 42. 
All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple. They did not forsake coming together to a building. Each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Again, the people came together to share all they had and build the church of Jesus. No longer just a building, but a community of people who would carry the presence of God with them wherever they went. There's one last temple that I want to point out. And it's between the pages. It's in Revelation. But I want to talk about what's in between those pages in this crease right here. See this crease in my Bible? This is the book of Jude. And this is the book of Revelation. This is everything that has already happened. This is what is still to happen. We live in that crease. Our story is in that crease. And what will that crease say about us as a community of people? Will we be added into the crease as people who came together to build the church? A community of believers walking together in obedience with the presence of God going with them every step of the way. This last temple that I want to point out to you is a temple that is still to come. John the Apostle had been given this vision of things to come in the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, I saw no temple in the city. He's talking about New Jerusalem, heaven. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. When we get to heaven, that is what we have to look forward to. This is the temple that is still to come. It's a place where we will dwell together in New Jerusalem, the city of our God in heaven. But here's what we believe. God has always cared about his address. From the beginning of time, I feel like I've proven that to you just now. From the beginning of time, he has cared about where his presence dwells. It's always been a theme in his story. But he's always desired to live among and with his people. His end game was us. He started out among people in the garden and then spent thousands of years while his spirit was in tents and in temples And now his spirit is with us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So here's my point. People will always trump a building every time. A building will always be secondary to us here at 214. We are building people and community, and that's what lasts. However, a permanent address for this church is important. Our own address gives us more freedom to live out the work that God has called us to do. It gives us more visibility to people that are in need of the resurrection power of Jesus. A permanent address allows us to settle in, open our doors more often and wider, to be a part of a community, and to share this gift that we have that so many people desperately need. 
We are no longer going to be in the corner of a city in obscurity. We're going to be down in one of the darkest parts of the city where the light of Jesus is going to transform that space. 307 Oak is that permanent address for us. And it's time for all of us to come together once again as God's people to bring our gifts, to bring our talents and our skills and our resources. I know some of you guys are just waiting to get in there with a sledgehammer. And we promise we will let you know when you can. To complete a permanent home for Church 214. So I want to talk a little bit about your skills and your talents and the gifts that God has given you. And I want to invite my friend Callie to come on stage. Come on up, Callie. Would you give her a big hand? I know I preached a long time, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. When I get going, I just can't stop. Can you tell everybody your name? My name is Callie. How old are you? Seven years old. Seven years old. Okay, Callie, can you show us what you have in your hand and explain it a little bit? How about if I hold it and you explain it? Would that be okay? Okay. You tell me what this is. So this is the stage, and then here's all the people praising Jesus, and then these are the people on the stage that are singing, and then here's the top of the church, and then here's the cross, even though we don't have one. Sure. <laughs> we don't have a name in our building yet either. You think we should no. have a name in our new building? Yeah, and then here are, like, the boards, okay. and then Ooh. the lights. Okay. Cool. Okay, so I have a question to ask you. You draw a picture. Turn and look at the people so they can see your pretty face. Okay, you draw a picture every single week that you're here. When you listen, you sit back there with your mom and you listen to the person preaching. You draw a picture every single week. And then you come up here and you give it to the preacher. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Can you tell me what made you want to draw pictures for the preachers? Because God gave me that gift. Do you know that I asked some of our preachers, I said, hey, do you have some of those pictures that Callie made for you? And so many of them said, I do. I saved it. And I said, could you send me pictures? There's one that says, your family is a war family. I love that. And you know what? The person you made that for, their family is a war family. They're fighting for Jesus. Callie, Here's what I want to tell people about you, okay? Your gift is very special and very specific. And you listen to the Holy Spirit when you're sitting back there with your mom and you thought, hmm, okay, I'm going to do that to encourage. You might not have known that you were encouraging those of us who preach, but you were encouraging us more than you'll ever know. And you listened to Jesus and you used your skill for the kingdom of God in a beautiful and powerful way. Thank you for that. Okay. Love you. That's what I'm talking about. Every single person has a gift and a talent and a skill that is to be used to build God's church. They're all different. None of them are disqualified. I'm going to ask my brother Isaac to come on stage, and he's going to quickly share some of the fi financials because I said, I'm not doing that part. You get to. It's my curse. Feels like almost like old times, you know? Yeah, I was just saying, I was just wondering when I'm gonna turn into a donkey or something. Yeah. 
so my name is Isaac, as most of you know, and uh, this building represents the sort of finalization of um, several years of work and prayer and thought by a lot of us, um, many of you in this room, but uh, I just want to extend a personal thank you to each and every one of you that have given and prayed for this and been so faithful and steadfast with all my late night texts and sometimes texting me and keeping me accountable and emailing and the whole team. And it's been, it's been a fun journey and it will continue to move forward. But I just want to say thanks, first of all. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Um, so we're seeing pictures of the building and there are a couple of realities here that uh, we have all of the faith in the world that will be taken care of. But one of those realities is that owning is very different than renting. And we have been renters to this point in our young church, and that's not a bad thing. I think that we have been hosted so graciously here at Monarch and previously Limelight, and um, in my opinion, our rent was far below market value, probably half of what market value is, and we're so thankful and grateful for not only God's provision, but God using other people, the owners of this building, to allow us to do that so um, so ably. We were able to do it uh, pretty, pretty comfortably. So as you look up onto the screen, this is what's going to change as we move into a permanent home. Um, those of you who know me well know that I'm a real estate investor. My wife and I have been real estate investors for 10 years. Ownership is something very near and dear to our heart because I think some people change when they own something. They treat it better. If they've purchased it themselves as we're purchasing, th purchasing this, it gives them a sense of um, responsibility that they maybe didn't have before. Um, so what we were doing before is renting this building for $2,000 a month. And we were able to cover that pretty easily with just our regular giving. As we move into this building, uh, our purchase price is $385,000 for a building that's about 11,000 square feet. It's about $38 a square foot, roughly. Don't, don't check the math. I didn't check it. But as you know, that's extremely cheap extremely cheap. So we feel like God has already provided on the front end for a space that's big enough for us at a really great price. At $385,000, we'll have to put down $77,000. As you guys know, our building fund, which we raised money for a couple of months ago, is about $117,000 right now, so we can easily cover the down payment. We'll have closing costs of four dollars or $5,000, and we'll see what the inspections uncover in that. And with that, um, we'll have about $36,000, $37,000 left in our building fund. So as we look at actually occupying this space, there will be a number of things that we'll have to do just to meet code, uh, ADA code, bathrooms, et cetera, whatever the city requires for us to occupy the space. And first of all, let me just say and proclaim in public that the city is going to be our friend. I know that for a fact. I know that for a fact. I had a, a call with a city official on uh, Thursday or Friday, and the first words out of his mouth were, who is this and what is the nature of your call? Uh, my name is Isaac. I come in peace. <laughs> Talking about parking. He goes, oh, 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 oh. Sorry about that. I thought you were a telemarketer. Sorry about that thing I said there. I said, no problem. And he couldn't have been more helpful after that. That's just an example that maybe that first response is going to be a little brusque. But after that, so helpful. Um, so anyway, as we look at this, we are understanding a, a, a midpoint of $150,000 for occupancy just to get in the building. Our building fund balance post-closing would be about 36000 and uh, so additional funds needed for occupancy is around 114000 which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. 
Beyond that, ownership is going to cost between five and $6,000 a month. Holly, if you can flip to that next slide, please. And um, what we're looking at right now, that's about $3,000 a month, three to 4,000 more than we currently pay um, to, to exist, to meet. So as our budget currently exists, we run about $1,000 to $1,500 in surplus every month by the grace of God, which is fantastic for a small church. But those of you who love math know that if we're $4,000 more to meet, we're going to be at a budget deficit afterwards of about $2,000 a month. Does that scare any of us? Not even a little. We know that in faith, one, we're going to grow. That has been told to me so many times in this location by people that they're like, oh, wow, you're going to grow there. Yes, we know that. And beyond that, I think that there is, um, I believe that this church can cover that deficit. With that. Okay. Don't go far. So the first thing that we're asking, and we want you to know that we as a leadership team have gone ahead of you in this. We're asking for you to go outside of this church and ask for the Cyrus effect. Who are the people in your life that you know that you have connections with or that God puts on your heart? Pray and ask the Lord to show you, okay? Don't just randomly draw people out of a hat. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you and then go to them and say, would you like to be a part of getting us into this building, building the kingdom of God? We would love to have your name included in this group of people. Just like Chris's friend Alejandro did and Christy and Andrew Cohen, I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but Christy's mom um, raised $500, gave $500 for this church in honor of her husband who passed away this past year. And she just felt the Lord tell her, give it to them. So that's another uh, an example of the Cyrus effect. People outside of these walls, and that's what we're asking you to do. We've all done that. We've all gone to people outside of this group of people and said, would you join us in giving a one-time gift to help us build that church? I believe, Holly, if you could put that slide up there with the, I don't know, what are the last ones with the numbers on it? That one. Uh, nope, the one before that. $114,000. That's what we need to get into the building. I believe that's going to come from the Cyrus effect. People that are outside of this group of people will fund us getting in that building. That's your first ask. That's our first ask of you to, do, to begin doing this week. On the way out, you're going to get a little card that has really easy ways to give. Take one of those so that when you're talking to people, you can give it to them and say, here's simply how you give. So we've never, ever, I don't think, scripted what we were going to say with each other when we were on the stage. I was going to say the same thing. I'm like, she's not going to say this. I'm going to tell them that the Cyrus can come up with 114000 There she is. Uh, the second thing is this, is this monthly deficit that we know that we're going to run as a church. Um, again, the budget surplus was 1000 to 1500 uh, Our new bu budget deficit will be approximately $2,000 a month as we move forward, let's say, before we grow, until we grow. Um, I think, Blake, I didn't actually talk with you about this. We'll cover the first 200. Blake and I will do the first $200 a month. This is above and beyond tithe. So this is just um, sacrificial giving. And let me tell you, my crusty dead heart, nothing opens it up. <laughs> nothing opens it up like sacrificial giving. So you, you don't do this necessarily to be blessed, but I guarantee you, you will be blessed. And I guarantee you, your heart will be opened if you sacrificially give every month. So we'll do the first 200. Blake and I will do the first 200, I think. And uh, after that, there's about an $1,800 a month deficit that if you would just consider what you would maybe be able to give above and beyond uh, as a sacrificial gift until we cover this deficit, I would appreciate it. That's so good. Okay, so that's it. The Cyrus effect, 
ask and the monthly giving from you. That's going to be a one-year commitment. One year commit to giving above and beyond your tithe. Here's what will happen. If you're not, this church is so faithful in their tithe and their giving, it's, it's amazing. But here's what will happen. If you're not already doing that faithfully, this will create that discipline in your life, which is an extra bonus, which I think is so cool. Yep. All right. That's all we have. On the, I don't know, somewhere, someone has some commitment cards. Yep. They're going to have to get down and get them. Sorry, that's uncomfortable. Um, Pass those out. Take one of these with you. You are going to pray about this this week. If you already know, God's already put a number on your heart, awesome. Give it to Chris or Kip that, or Isaac. Um, if you don't know and you want to go home and pray about it and talk with your spouse about it or talk with yourself about it, talk with the Lord about it, bring those back next week. Okay? Next week will be Turn In Your Commitment Card Sunday. And that is all I have. If you have questions, you can see any of us. We will do our best to answer your questions.